0: Good morning. Good morning, friends. It's so good to uh, be able to share with you a little bit this morning. I hope that will stay there and it won't trip me up. Uh, <laughs> I um, First of all, I just want to thank uh, our worship team uh, so much. Uh, just thinking about what I'm going to be talking about uh, this morning, and uh, I did not share these notes uh, with anybody. I I don't even know that I knew completely what I was going to say until this morning when I got up. Uh, I'm prepared, but uh, sometimes it it doesn't get finished until it's preached. And uh, Mark, anytime you have an opportunity to sing no other name, it just blesses me, and I I think about what I want to say, and then the Christ is enough for me It just goes so much into what I wanted to communicate, and so one of the questions I want to start with this morning is, uh, who am I, or who are you? Ask Ask that question of yourself. Who am I? What would you write down? What would you say to somebody if they asked you, tell me a little bit about yourself? What are some of the thoughts that come to your mind? Perhaps you would talk about your your family, your marriage. Uh, you might talk about where you live, what you like. But I think, in general, our minds and our thoughts often go to what? Our career, the work that we do. And so we, we start to talk about that. And if you're like me, we want to make it sound like it's important, right? I. Somebody will ask me today, what, who are you or what do you do? I'll say, well, I, I work at the University of Notre Dame. <sighs> Don't be too impressed. <laughs> I know, right? Thank you. Thank you. I love that. I love that because it just kind of brings us all down to where we need to be. It's like I work at the University of Notre Dame for the law school, and that's even like doubly impressive. Woo! yeah, aren't you impressed? I am an administrative assistant. And that's a wonderful job as well. But when I think about that, and I think about what I have done in the past, for me personally, it's a little hard. Sometimes, I'm just being honest and transparent with you, and if you're an administrative assistant, I'm not putting you down, but I'm telling you what I feel. I swallow, because that's not what I've done before. I, at times, struggle with that, because I look at it as if that's a demotion, from being a pastor for so many years and an executive for a very successful ministry. But I love my job, and I want to clarify that. But I say that because I think that there are times where we feel really good about ourselves because we are, in our eyes or in the world's eyes, succeeding and progressing. We have a position of power and prestige, and we're, we're producing, and we have a bunch of things. We have enough. But oftentimes, and I think we all find ourselves there at times, we have a hard time answering that question because we can't, we have a hard time answering it. We have a hard time because we don't see ourselves as being successful. We don't see ourselves as having power or in, in the world's eyes looking like we are making a difference in the world. I'm sure we feel like. At, at times. Maybe you feel like that today. I'm not enough. I'm not, I'm not enough. I can think of um, in past years as a, a pastor in this area, in this community, I was a part of a, a minister's meeting. We would get together once a month and we would be there together for two hours. We'd spend the first hour praying and the second hour studying. And the first hour praying was more like a time for all of us to posture ourselves and fill up our chest and say, this is what's going on in my church. Aren't you impressed? And the reality is that there are many of us that felt really broken and hurt, and we felt like we needed to fill in the blanks by keeping up with the appearances, if you will. Wonder what we would receive if we asked a child this, though. If you ask a child, Who are you? Tell me a little bit about yourself. I think we would get a completely different answer, especially the younger that they are. They're not going to be so concerned about what you think, they're going to tell you what they're very interested in at that very moment. I like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I rode my bike down the hill and I had a spill, and that's why I have this scar on my head. With a smile on their face, they say this. They, are, they want to be in your presence at that moment, and they are delighted that you are interested in hearing what they think about themselves. I have a little book that one of my... Uh, well, he's not a student. He is a student. He's a PhD student at, uh, that is here visiting from... Uh, Venezuela, actually. He's here for about a month, and, and I've, been, I've had an opportunity to have coffee with him and sit down and share with him, like, what are you doing here, and what am I doing here? And we got to share about our lives. And he says, Lowell, I'd love to give you this little book. It's called The Little Prince. Anybody familiar with this book? A few of you are familiar with this book. It's actually a rather strange book for an adult to read, because it's some of the things they talk about. If I were to read this to you, you'd be like, what is, he, what, is this, what is this little prince talking about? And uh, I'd never read it before, and I love children's books. And, and, and Jorge described it to me as a children's book that really isn't a children's book because it opens our eyes into the world of a child and what a child finds important and significant. On one of the pages here uh, at the beginning of the book, uh, the, the author, who is having this communication with the little prince, describes what's important. If I've told you these details about asteroid B612, by the way, this is where they find themselves. They're on this asteroid. And if I've given you its number, it is an account of the grown up. It's on account of the grown-ups. Grown-ups like numbers. When you tell them about a new friend, they never ask questions about what really matters. They never ask what does his voice sound like? What games does he like best? Does he collect butterflies? They ask, how old is he? How many brothers does he have? How much does he weigh? How much money does his father make? Only then do they think they know him, If you tell grown-ups, I saw a beautiful red brick house with geraniums at the windows and doves on the roof, they won't be able to imagine such a house. You have to tell them, I saw a house worth 100,000 francs. Then they exclaim, what a pretty house. Is that true? I think sometimes it is. For us as adults, we lose a lot because we value things based on number, and production, and success. We judge other people this way, and, but I think worse, we judge ourselves this way instead of being present in the moment. I think Jesus uh, kind of had this idea in mind uh, when he was talking with his disciples when they asked him about Who will enter the kingdom of heaven first? What is important? And who are going to be the most important people? And in Matthew chapter 18, he says at this time, or the text says at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. We love this, don't we? We love the little children come to Jesus. And It's good. Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes a lowly, the lowly position, uh, the other NIV text says humble position, of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. I think we, we look at that, we read that. We've heard that before. We we love that Jesus lets our little children come up to his lap and sit on his lap and spend time with Jesus. In the next chapter, the same question comes up. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. (laughs) I love that. I love that the disciples rebuked him. It's like, he's such an important man and he has no time for these children. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. When my children were little so many years ago, they longed to be present with me and for me. They wanted me to engage in their life and in their story. And when I juxtapose that attitude, that longing to be with daddy, with the attitude that I had chasing after things, power, success, trying to live up to somebody else's expectations as a youth pastor and a pastor in those days, I am keenly aware of how much I missed. I long. (laughs) I long for the days when I could put my my boys on my leg and play pony boy. I long to read them the stories that we still laugh and love but they appreciated so much more then. I long for those camping trips in our pop-up camper that broke up, broke down every time we opened it up. <laughs> I long for that. I miss those days. Because what they wanted more than anything, as they adored their father, was just to spend some time. And I think when Jesus says, "If you, to enter the kingdom of heaven, become like one of these. Just longing to be in your daddy's presence. And in your daddy's presence, you hear about who you are and why he loves you, and how he created you. This is what your daddy wants to tell you, longs to tell you. And Jesus is basically saying the same thing. Our father values this more than anything. More than anything, our father longs to be with us This is what Jesus was saying to his beloved disciples, who longed to do something of great importance and position. He said, come to sit with me. Put aside all of your striving, all of your not enoughs. You are enough, and just the way I wanted you to be, just the way that I created you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was formless, and it was void, and he made something out of it. And at the end of that, toward the end of that creation story in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to the end, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. I love that image word there because I want to say, if I were to translate it, he made mankind in his spitting image. We say that. He's just a spitting image of his father. You are. You are in our likeness so that they may rule. And when you see the word rule there, I want you to replace it with the word steward. Because that's what that really means. That they may steward over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw, it, saw all that he had made, and it was what? Good. Very good. It wasn't perfect. We oftentimes read that, I think, and we think that God created it complete and perfect. But no. He created it good. And he calls us to steward it. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. He's saying, I have created you to join me in taking this very good world forward, just the way you are, created in his image, and he says, I have given you everything that you need to do this, everything that you need. My thoughts often go to what I am not, what I lack. Personally, I'm always looking for approval and appreciation. Ask Katie (laughs) from others. And I'm concerned. I'm always looking over my shoulder whether I'm making other people happy or pleasing people, meeting others' expectations, and not being a disappointment to people. This is what I am plagued with personally. And in my own eyes, and my heart, I must confess to you that I'm right there. I don't believe that I'm enough. Many of the days that I walk this earth, these are some of the words that I find when I cry out to God and write in my journal, and they influence the way that I act and relate with others. The work that I do is not enough. My parenting, my marriage, it's not enough. And I live in this place of scarcity. But this is not the truth. This is not what God, our our daddy, our heavenly father wants us to know about ourselves. And if I am believing this, if I'm living in this, I'm listening to the wrong voice. And I've not put myself into a place where I might hear clearly from the lover of my soul. And so, Genesis chapter 2 will continue the thought by saying, Thus the heavens and the earth were created in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he was doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because as he, on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, I want you to just think about that for just a minute it's, again, that lullaby effect. We hear these words. We've heard this story so many times all of our lives, this creation story. But what's wrong with this picture? When you listen to those three verses, when you read those three verses about what God does on the seventh day, so we've seen him active, putting the stars up in the sky and separating the water from the land and Creating the birds and the animals and doing all of this creative work. On the seventh day, what does he do? Just <laughs> are, are, are are you having the same problem that I am having when I say when you say that? God rested. What for? What for? He is all powerful, almighty God, and he calls us to worship him, and he rests. What's that all about? Do you have a problem with that? At least in the way that we interpret rest. What does God need to rest for? The scriptures tell us that he does not slumber nor sleep. And yet on this day, he stops and he rests. What is that all about? What does God need to, why does God need to rest? He is God. May I propose that he's, Resting in, this, in the way that you are resting right now. oh, you're doing something, you're listening. At least I hope you are. <laughs> Not because I want to be I'm impress, impressed in your eyes, but you are uh, participating, you're sitting, but you're also resting and this is what god does on the 7th day he has created this tabernacle he has created this temple if you will he has created this world that displays his splendor and on the 7th day just like an artist would do he would look and sit back and admire the work now you got to think about that for a little bit because it's not just not the beauty is not just skin deep It goes deeper than that. I want to propose to you that God is looking at the creation that is good and is going somewhere, and he's saying, I trust it to do exactly what I intended it to do. You and I. He has trusted us to do exactly what he created us to do. With all of our flaws and all of our imperfections, with all of the... And, and, and all of the emotional struggles that I deal with in my own striving and, and not-enoughness, he still looks at me and he says, I trust you. I put you in this world to be exactly who you are and nothing more. Because I guess what? I created a bunch of other people <laughs> in my image as well, and they do their job too. They do their... They are present in this world, reflecting my glory, reflecting my image. And God looks back and he smiles. And in the commandment that we know, oh so well, but we have a hard time following, we even rationalize it and say that Jesus changed it, which he didn't. He says, "To make it holy, to sacred and set apart the Sabbath, He invites us to sit with Him and to see what He sees. Just like the child who sits with his daddy in the ex- in, in, and in his exchange, we are present with one another. I'm not concerned about all the things that are undone. I'm not concerned about the lawn that isn't mowed and the, and the dishes that need to be washed and the laundry that needs to be folded. I'm not worried about the... Th- and in my job change, I'll tell you what, I was salary before this, now I'm hourly. I still have a hard time confessing my sins. <laughs> I check my work email. <clears throat> Shame on me. <laughs> Katie's over we here saying amen. <clears throat> what, do I, what do I find there? What will we do there? Actually, I need to come back over here. My... Uh, a couple years ago, you, you were aware, I, I know I've talked about this before, that I took a sabbatical, and that's why I brought my walking stick, because uh, I had an opportunity to go hiking, uh, which I love to do, and I have all these little medallions that are just memories of where I've been. Uh, not to impress you, I'm not a huge hiker. I went like maybe two miles down Bright Angel Trail and huffed and puffed two miles back up hi- Bright Angel Trail into Grand Canyon. Uh, I, I, I'm a wannabe. <laughs> But uh, Katie and I, uh, during my sabbatical, I had been to Grand Canyon one time with my son, and uh, when we went to the Grand Canyon together for my second time, Katie's first time, uh, we, we walked up to the edge of the Grand Canyon, and Katie wept at the beauty and the awe and the splendor of something that she had longed to see, and now she has this opportunity to look at it, and I just, I was just in that moment, I love that. And so I, I love to tell the story. I had my hike, this hiking stick with me, and we decided that uh, if you've ever... How many of you ever been to the Grand Canyon South Rim? Okay? On the South Rim, you can go towards the Hermitage, which is about a 10-mile walk from the parking lot to the Hermitage. You can walk it. You can't drive there, but you could or take a shuttle bus that will stop you at points of view all along the way. It's about a 10-mile hike. Uh, it's quick in a car, It's a lot longer when you walk. And we walked it. Not not that you should be impressed about that we took this long walk. I only say that is is that there are times in our lives, I think, that we are just along for the ride. We just want to quickly get to the points of view, Get get to the places where the goal, like we want to be there. But if we don't get off the bus, folks, if we don't get out on the trail, we'll miss the opportunity to see so many more things. And I believe that that's in this walk and this journey that we take with him. It seems easy to go for us to go along the ride. But there's so much more. And I see this in the rhythms of Jesus, the son of God. Did you know just like our heavenly father sits back and looks at his creation, Jesus is not always working? I think we misinterpret things. In fact, it seems that his greatest ministry happened when he was at rest with his disciples and present in the moment. Regularly, not just when he was exhausted, Jesus would get away. And sometimes at the the chagrin of his disciples. Jesus, how in the world are you sleeping in the boat? Get up and help us out. Jesus, if you had only been here a couple days ago, our brother would not have died. And we know the story that he delayed on purpose. And here in this moment, uh, I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 4. Here in this moment, Jesus, who was just commissioned by the Holy Spirit, he was just baptized by John the Baptist, and the, and the dove comes down, you know, and what does the voice say? This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, which is something that should be ringing in our ears all of the time. He says the same thing to us. And at that very moment, before he had even got, before he even dried off, <laughs> the text says, That he went into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit took him into the wilderness. Now, we would be saying, but Jesus, we hired you (laughs) to go and do this thing. And you want a 40-day vacation? What? Who does this? I have to earn my vacation, by the way. I lost all that seniority that I had, and now I have to work for every day that I get a vacation. And I say that because I know that most of you in here are in the same boat. You have to work for your vacation. Jesus gets up out of the water. He's commissioned, and then he goes on a 40-day, 40-day vacation. Uh, we don't call it the 40-day vacation. I think we armchair it, and we look at Jesus going away, maybe his disciples, maybe other people who saw this commission, and it, like, where is he going? Where is he going? We know this is the temptation of Jesus, which I think is a poor translation uh, of this. I think it's more of a, a testing, more of a time with God. Let me get into the text here. Matthew. Chapter 4, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. So he'd been out on this vacation for 40 days. And the tempter, which another way we can say it is the accuser or the liar, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Well, what what is the tempter telling him to do? If you are who you say you are, do this thing. Produce. Of course, Jesus, we know, could do this. We know later that he will do things like this. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's talking about his own identity. He says, I don't find my enoughness in what I produce. I find my enoughness in God who provides for me. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. Here it is. Power and prestige, it's all yours. Everybody is looking to Jerusalem. If you are the son of God, if you are who you say you are, he said, throw yourself down. And then he quotes scripture. For it is written, he, and we're good at this too sometimes, proof texting things so that we can We can get our point across the way we want to. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Another thing that he could have said is, Do not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. That commandment is actually saying, Don't leverage God's name the name, no other name, don't leverage his name for your purposes. And again, the devil, the liar, the accuser, took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, by the way, I just think how ridiculous that is because he was the one that spoke it into, creation, into being, and he comes, he comes to Jesus and says, all these things I will give you, and there's something in there, I'm sure. I won't get into that, but if you will bow down and worship me, Jesus said, away from me. Get away from me, liar, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. These are words that I hear ringing in my ears more than I'd like to admit, if you are. If you are. Does that sound familiar to you? (sighs) To be convinced that we are not enough to stop trusting the good story. I said... uh, I know I've said this a few times uh, in, in, in my time as a uh, pastor in a church, <clears throat> and it's probably not just pastors, I'm sure it's teachers and, and doctors and, and engineers and nurses and whatever career you're at, but I think our world is so broken because we are hired based on our strengths. In fact, sometimes I think the world will tell us tell us all the good things about you. And and then we get hired, and it's like, oh, our dream has come true. The person who is going to fix all of our problems has come into our midst. And it's almost as if we bow down and we worship them because we're so glad that they're here. But it doesn't take too long before all of that sours and all of the weaknesses that every single one of us have come to the fore and we become evaluated based on the weaknesses that were already there to begin with. We all have them. We all have strengths, but we are not complete. We're good, but we're not complete. And church, we need to be careful. We need to change our attitude when it comes to that. Instead of looking at people by what they are able to do, their abilities... Or their non-abilities. What if we changed our perspective and started looking at individuals by the way that they look in the image of God? How does this person look like Jesus? I am extremely, 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 well, I'm extremely thankful uh, that we have a pastor and a family in uh, Pat and Angela and their children as part of our family because they look like Jesus. They have been given some amazing gifts and they, a, a shape that is unique for our day, for where we are at right now. And instead of asking a question or looking at what the person is doing to fit my desire and my thoughts about what it is, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I can't go to that church anymore because uh, that, that message is not feeding me, or the worship sounded like this, or blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm kicking myself in the pants when I say that. But what if we turned our... Our focus and looked and said, how, does, how do they look? One of the things that I appreciate about Pat so much is that, uh, that uh, and this is what he desires to do with all of the eldership, but personally, he is a partner. Personally, we are in relationship with, each, with one another, and I feel tremendously uh, undergirded and supported by, by his presence in my life. I see a family who honors one another and they show us not through perfection and not through arrival, but a a marriage that is is working toward one another and not away from one another. And a family that is, is, is striving to raise their children in a way that all people that look will be able to say, well, they don't have it all together, but boy, I like that part of that. And I want to follow. I want to follow that. They, they in, in the midst of everything that we have all lived through in the last four years, in our world and in our church, they have displayed a tremendous amount of resilience and perseverance with a positive attitude that says, I'm so glad that we're on this road together going forward and partnering with God. And they're calling us to come alongside of them. They are devoted and dedicated. Another word or phrase that I hear from every single individual in their family is what can I do for you? Sometimes I'm like, I have no idea. But I can't tell you how blessed I am to hear you say those words, that you're not so busy that you take the time to say, I'll give you time. I'll give you time. I'm so very thankful. I'm so very thankful, and I hope that you are as well. And I hope that that list, (laughs) not list again about what they're doing, but who they are and how they show us Jesus, is longer in your journal than in mine. And, uh, And so, in the next 40 days, much like Jesus' example, uh, Pat and Angela and their children are going to take a 40-day sabbatical. And you might be thinking, okay, what's that all about? And remember the words. <laughs> what do you mean, we're sending them on another, another vacation? <laughs> 40. So, many, so much work to be done. So, so many things that are on our plate, and we're sending them away. Well, first of all, that's a terrible perspective to, to think that they are our servants to do our bidding. We didn't hire them for that. We didn't hire Pat to do that. And we didn't hire his family to do anything except to demonstrate Jesus to us, to be a part of us. No, we're sending them to get the same perspective that Jesus was getting and to get the same perspective that the children were getting at the lap of Jesus. To rest, to be restored, and to be excited that they will go and come back with something more energetic to give us. Amen? And so I'm going to ask uh, Pat and Angela and and the elders that are here uh, today to come up uh, at this point in my message, and uh, we're going to send them uh, with uh, prayer uh, this morning. And if you would, while Chuck prays, if you would just uh, close your eyes and and hold out your hands to them. Our God, our Father in heaven, Father, we ask you to be with Pat and Angela and their family in the next 40 days, and that you would bless them, not with just rest, Father, but with renewal. Mm -hmm. And Father, we ask the same for each one of us. Amen. Amen. I want to uh, um, get a drink of water, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I want to just uh, close first just by, by communicating that this is something that we have encouraged our pastor and his family to do because we believe in them, because we believe that they have been called to this place. And we also recognize that we are at a place in our congregation where we're, I believe we are poised at, uh, just right on the edge of something great. And I, that's not a platitude. I believe that we are poised on uh, something great because there's a tremendous amount of tension that's happening right now, and there's a lot of lies that are flowing, fly, flying around, and that's what the devil wants to do just before something great is going to happen. And I believe that we need to be sending our pastor on, on this, in this place because we see that. We envision that. We're not sending them away because there's all kinds of problems and we want them to get fixed. Actually, just like Jesus in the wilderness, it could be they go away and they listen and they find out more weaknesses. But what does Paul say about weaknesses? He says, I I rejoice in weaknesses. So strange. Because Christ's power comes forward in weaknesses. What if we laid it all out on the table? And we say, this is who we are. And what do we say about living stones? We're all mess. And we laugh about it. And we enjoy that. But we know how much opportunity it has to be able to minister to the south side of South Bend. And so we continue on in that vision. And because of that, we are committed to moving forward in that direction. Now, what do we do? 40 days. Sounds like a long time. It's actually a rather short time but there's something that we need to do. We need to do personally, and we need to do together as a community. Together. Together as a community. It's not just, I don't want you to say that because I hate when I hear that. I hate it when I hear, we should pray, but then we should do something. And I I, I become that kind of a person that will say words like that, we should pray, and then say, I don't like that phrase, the next phrase, then we should do something. We pray, and God gives us direction. And then we walk in obedience. That's the better way of saying it, I think. That's my opinion. And you can argue with me if you want. I'm fine with that. But we need to pray, and we need to do some soul searching. We need to understand... Am I committed to this? Am I, do I believe, do I trust that, that God wants me here as a part of this congregation, in this family, on the south side to make a difference for Him as God leads us? Because we all need to be a part. We're not consumers here. We are partners with God. And so... We believe that our pastor has been called to this ministry. We believe that we have been called, and we encourage, enthusiastically encourage them as they go. And so we pray. I love this prayer. It's something that I have carried along with me for, for many years. Uh, and it's Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. I shared this with Pat and with the elders just the other day and thinking about where we are today. Listen to these words. Read them on the screen. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I love this. I love that you have this pastor writing this letter to this church, and he, and he kneels down and he prays for his congregation, the, this, this congregation. And then he says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that's that pursuit, that is that sitting at the lap of Jesus, that is that sitting on the edge of the canyon and looking out at all that God has created, the beautiful work that He has done. You sit there, You being, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Did you catch that? We don't know the depth. We cannot do this by ourselves. We do not know the depth of God's love by ourselves. We we might get a glimpse of it, a little piece of it, but if we're not apart, if we're not doing this together, we miss out on so much, but together we know of His power and His love, and we grasp it. And we understand it because we see it alive. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And this is, this is kind of where we want to be. When we, when we hear your words, when we do the Ask the Elder night, in, in a couple weeks, what I'm really excited about, and we got a glimmer of that uh, a couple weeks ago, was, it was this desire to see something beyond where we are now. That's a God-given dream. What if we came together on that? <laughs> And so Paul will end this prayer by saying, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, to him who is able to do all more than we ask or imagine, not him, not me, not anybody else that we can point to in this room, but together we watch him do bigger things. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I'm not enough, folks. Pat's not enough. The elders are not enough. No individual in this room is enough except with him who tells us that we are indeed created in the image and likeness of our God, and we are enough. So as we move from here, as we take the next steps in our family conversations and our times of prayer, we will be together walking and praying with the idea in mind, God, show us. We sit up on the lap of Jesus, and he tells us the desire of his heart. And then we embrace it and walk in obedience in that direction. And when we come together for the Ask the Elders night, we, we bring ideas and thoughts and opinions and, and bring them all to the table. And we recognize as we look at all of these things, all of these pieces, all of these offerings, all of these gifts, we see the good thing that God is doing among us. Amen? Amen. Let me... Offer a word of prayer to close our time this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for drawing us uh, together today, uh, for encouraging us and in challenging us to consider who we are in your eyes, to, to constantly hear the voice, put ourselves in a place where we constantly hear your voice that says, you are my beloved son's, And you are my beloved daughters, in Jesus' name, amen.